bongo, 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 I don't wanna leave the Congo, oh, no, 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 no. Bingo, bango, bongo, I'm so happy in the jungle, I refuse to go. Welcome to another voice with your host Cologne and we have two interesting topics for today. One involving uh, Bernie Sanders and the other one involving Captain Marvel. And without ado, I will just jump straight in, starting with Bernie Sanders. Roll clip one. Hi, I'm Bernie Sanders. I'm running for president. He's back. <laughs> By the miracle of cryogenics and reanimation, Bernie Sanders is back. Three years after his death in 2016 at the ripe old age of 331. <laughs> yep, he's back with his normal level of radical craziness, but let's get into that. Now, unfortunately, I can't go through every aspect of his little, uh, his video relating to his policies for his 2020 run, because to fact check all of that at you know, and one person. I can't go through that and fact check all of that. That would take far too long for just one video. But I have uh, got to a few points that I do think are particularly quite interesting. And those are the things that I'm going to be focusing on in his video. So without further ado, we'll, uh, we'll roll clip two. Election. Our campaign is about transforming our country and creating a government based on the principles of economic, social, racial, and environmental justice. There's nothing just about stealing from people and redistributing that wealth. There's, there's nothing just about that. And let's be very clear, that is what Bernie Sanders wants. Nothing is free. The government doesn't have any money. The only money the government has is the money it takes from you, right? It's the taxes that they take from you. There is nothing just about redistributing that. Just generally. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't um, a legitimate reason for taxation. I'm just saying that whatever those reasons are, they have to be legitimate. So whilst not all taxation is illegitimate, not all taxation is legitimate. Now, we can go into that further, but that's not really what all of this is focused on. So there's also, uh, he talks about how he wants to get, uh, what was it he said? He said he wants economic, racial, social, and environmental justice, right? Now, let's just look at racial justice just for a bit. And really, I'm only touching on all of this because to go into great detail on everything would lead to a far longer video than I'm willing to, than I'm willing to put out just at this moment. Maybe taking them one at a time um, and making a full video on each of them would probably be more appropriate. Right, but now, when he talks about racial justice, it really depends on what he means by racial justice because it's not racial justice to give special benefits to one group at the expense of others. I mean, just look at the um, Asian students suing Yale. I, I believe it's Yale. I don't have it in front of me right at this moment, but I do believe it's Yale, right? They were discriminated against on the basis of, on, on the basis of, um, what, 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 what is it? What do they call it? They call it, they were discriminated on on the basis of, I suppose, equality, on the basis of diversity, because they achieve high grades. So, uh, so universities would be would have a disproportionate number of Asian people in them, and so to make make ground for other groups, make 
places for other groups, they limit the amount of uh, of places available for Asian students. And now some Asian students are suing Yale. Now, what Yale, and I believe it's Yale, once again, if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll correct that in post in the sense of uh, giving information stating that I'm wrong. But I believe it is Yale. What Yale is doing is racism. They are they are removing i suppose they're removing the the benefits of hard work and education that asian students had worked for on the grounds of on the grounds of equality on the grounds of on the grounds of um diversity now what what else can you really call that except for racism? Now he also said that he wants um, environmental justice, and this kind of goes back to our last video. Okay, not the meme, the one before that, the last episode, right? <laughs> environmental justice, right? So much like the Green New Deal, right? More evidence of it's it's just more evidence for trying to get socialism through the back door, in the sense that those who are proponents for socialism propose greater government control and socialist policies right and they try to get this through environmentalism they try to justify the need for greater social control greater economic control because of the need of um because of the need of do, doing something about the environment and people can agree with doing something about the environment they may not necessarily agree with socialism now i'm not going to talk more about that because we have a video on that entire thing so just go back and watch that right now <laughs> do you know what let's not say anything about social justice because i mean I mean, you've heard enough about social justice, right? Social justice warriors, right? Because social justice is attacking people for something silly, like cultural appropriation, which, by the way, is not a bad thing, right? Cultural appropriation is a recognition that a culture has something worth adopting. If I wanted to open up a Chinese restaurant, it's not to stick it to the China man. <laughs> it's because... I appreciate that Chinese cuisine is something worth is something worthwhile and so I would open up something which I which I believe in right placing my money into something which I believe in okay uh, roll clip three our campaign is about taking on the powerful special interests that dominate our economic and political life all right, so here Bernie Sanders talks about taking on the special interests that dominate politics and economic life. Yeah, that isn't the best, uh, that's not the best <laughs> Bernie Sanders impression that one could make. I can't do it that well. <laughs> right, but yeah, he's right. He wants to take them on. He wants to take them on and make them much more powerful, right, until they are, until they are the pretty much the only means of getting anything done in government and i will get back to that but um let's just go on a little bit further so roll clip four our campaign is about redoubling our efforts to end racism sexism homophobia religious bigotry and all forms of discrimination all right i mean ending racism sexism homophobia religious bigotry and all forms of discrimination is Great, but do you know what? It alarms me when government tries to involve itself in these matters. I mean, look, there are some there are some places where government is best placed for this. So, for instance, institutional. I'm going to say institutional. I mean specifically relating to government 
government structures themselves, removing those kind of barriers, though I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that any one of those still exist. If they do, if they do still exist, it's beneficial to point out where those examples of institutional bigotry is so that we can get rid of them so far as it relates to the government. But I think that individuals should be able to determine for themselves who they associate with and that could lead to really bad decisions i'm not going to lie about that that could lead to people not getting jobs certain jobs because they're black or gay or irish or dogs <laughs> sorry it's just relating to an old poster no blacks irish or dogs <laughs> that could be what it leads to but I also believe that the free market will correct that. If a certain job won't hire black people, another one will. If a certain if, if a certain bakery won't won't bake cakes for uh, gay weddings, another one will. In fact, they're just opening up the market to someone who who's willing to explore and exploit that market. It just I, I believe that the free market will correct. But more than that, I believe that people should be free to make whatever associations or or to ignore or to not make whatever associations that they choose to make or not to make clip five and clip six our campaign is about creating a vibrant democracy our campaign is about creating a government and economy that works for the many not just the few. Okay, so there he's talking about creating a vibrant democracy and also about creating an economy that works for the many, not just the few. Now, we've already talked about the problems of democratic socialism. We did that in our second episode, right? I, I here's, here's where I stand, it's controversial. Go back, watch the second episode, tell me what you think. If you see any flaws in my arguments, point them out. But I do not believe democracy and socialism to be able to coexist in one system. Now, once again, when I talk about socialism, I mean the actual meaning of socialism, which is government centralization, planning of the economic system and whatnot, right? So when I'm talking about socialism, I'm not just talking about high taxation and redistribution, which, by the way, I have a problem with as well, but that's not what I'm referring to right now. I'm talking about central planning, which is the definition of socialism. OK, so he's talking about uh, creating an economy that works for the many and not just for the few. But that isn't actually what would happen within socialism, right? Because socialism grants more powers to the government and power to the government means greater um, effectiveness and therefore utility of personal interest groups. Daniel Dykstra, writing for the Washington University Law Review in his article, uh, The Impact of Pressure Groups on the Legislative Process, notes this very fact, right? He states, it is submitted that those who now seek to assert their influence are impelled by a sense of urgency. In truth, a desperateness which at times borders on hysteria, not present in um, previous conflicts. Those who engineer the battles for privileges recognise that a revolutionary change in government's relation to the social economic structure has occurred and that as a consequence, the stakes for which they are fighting are higher, more vital. They are cognizant, in other words, not only that the increased assumption of control by government makes the rewards of effective 
influence potentially greater, but also that the same development makes ineffectiveness potentially more costly. Right, so what he's essentially saying there is that as government has more power, as, as government takes more control over the economic system, over, over everything that socialists want government to have control over, the necessity for interest groups fighting for power essentially, fighting for something which benefits themselves grows because the government has more power, therefore it becomes necessary for special interest groups to fight for what they want, lest another specialist interest group does that. And so how do these special interest groups get what they want? How do they fight for those privileges that they're fighting for, right? So once again, in the same article, it states, personal contact was the most effective weapon in their arsenal. The reading of the reports issued by the, and correct me if I mispronounce this, the Buchan Committee will show beyond question that personal contacts remains the primary con primary approach to dividends, right? Contemporary groups, it would seem, accept as truth the observation of one of their spokesmen when he said, the way to get bills through is to go up and grab fellows and talk to them. A speech never changed a vote yet. It is a matter of political strategy. Take the leaders and sell them. So what does this mean? What does this mean when combined with the early assertion that greater government control leads to a greater urgency and necessity for, for interest groups, for special interest groups to fight for what they want? And that, you know, personal contact is the most effective weapon in their arsenal. Well, it means that those who know people in power, those in, you know, essentially having friends in high places will grant you more power. And that's true, whether or not it's a socialist or a, or a capitalist society that we're talking about. But in a socialist society, like we talked about in our second video, in a socialist society, the stakes are much higher because the amount of control the government has over the personal lives of individuals is much greater. As I stated then in the second video, and I'll reassert now, you cannot divide the economic and the personal because the economic is merely a means of facilitating the personal. With socialism, you think that you're giving them control over the economic when actually you're giving them a great deal of control over your own personal life. So essentially, it's rent-seeking, right? And we talked about rent-seeking before, but I'll just go into it a little bit more again. So in preparing for this episode, I read an article on rent-seeking. I'll, I'll just check the name of that for you right now. Okay, so it's, it's, it's um, called the political economy of rent-seeking society. So the political economy of a rent-seeking society, uh, written by Anno Kruger, who I believe is actually the person who coined the phrase, though not the idea, rent-seeking, right? She coined the phrase rent-seeking. Okay, so uh, there she states that a third sort of licensing mechan um, mechanism is less systematic in that government officials decide on license allocations. Competition occurs to some extent through both mechanisms already mentioned as a businessman base their decisions on expected values. But in addition, competition can also occur 
through allocating um, resources to influencing the probability or expected size of license allocations. Some means of influencing the expected allocations include trips to the capital city, locating the firm in the capital, and so are straightforward. Other include bribery, hiring relatives of officials, or employing the officials themselves upon retirement. So rent-seeking can lead to corruption and government control leads to rent-seeking, right? So rent-seeking leads to bribery, nepotism, uh, paying off those who you're seeking benefits from. And so in the same article, um, she states that it is generally believed that corruption has been increasing and much of the blame lies with the proliferation of economic controls following independence. I believe she's referring to India in that case. Now, because of um, because of the proliferation of economic controls, because greater government control over the economy, it has become more beneficial to go to seek after benefits by means of corruption. So it's kind of the same as as above. What we're talking about above in that that uh, greater government control leads to a necessity in special interest groups going after what they want, perhaps at the detriment, perhaps at the inconvenience of the general populace. And so where Bernie Sanders talks about their, his campaign being about creating an economy that works for the many and not just for the few, I believe it's the exact opposite of what socialism would bring. I believe that's actually what's, what's been shown because socialism is much greater control over the economy. Greater control over the economy leads to rent-seeking, leads to special interest groups. And special interest groups have been shown in the past to act against the general, the general wishes, the general benefit of society, as a uh, Professor Hurst observed, right, where he states that uh, the capacity of our main legal institutions to mediate, organise spokesmen for the industry, uh, for industry, commerce, labour, and agriculture, we did a practical um, veto on measures adverse to their separate concerns, or at least had enough force to modify public measures closer to their likings. They used their veto frankly and bluntly in their own interests and not as trustees for broader public. Does that sound to you like a vibrant democracy? Does that sound to you like an economy that works for the for the people? Because that's not what it sounds like to me. Now, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe what the people really want is a system where where everything's decided by a minority of highly organized, very loud, crazy people like um like the NACCP, but that's not what that's not what a vibrant democracy looks like to me. Now, uh, roll clip 7. We should not have the highest rate of childhood poverty of almost any major country on earth. So this was actually quite a difficult one. It, it took a bit of time to kind of get my head around everything when I was looking at the data. Now, because on the one hand, right, Bernie Sanders is right. There shouldn't be such a high level of childhood poverty. But one thing that, that has to be said is that when they're talking about childhood poverty, they're not talking about absolute poverty, but relative poverty, which is dependent on the, I suppose, dependent on the amount that average, that an average family or household will have in excess every month or every year, for instance, right? In, in the cases that I was looking at, it was, it was monthly, right? 
But yeah, he's right. There is a high level of childhood poverty in America. And we're talking about America because Bernie Sanders is running for president in America. Now, childhood poverty is determined by actually quite a few other factors. So for instance, the rate of childhood poverty uh, can be determined by single parent households. So for instance, it says here, the likelihood of growing up in poverty varies across different types of households and with the employment status of those households. So for instance, the... OECD average poverty rate in households with children and only a single adult is at 31.6, right? So over 20 percentage points over or um, three times higher than the poverty rate in a household with children uh, of two or more adults. And also, uh, childhood poverty is also determined by joblessness, where it states here. Similarly, poverty rates tend to be much higher in jobless households than in households where at least one adult works. On average, across the OECD, 63.4% of individuals living in jobless households with children also live in relative income poverty, compared to only 9.2% of individuals in working households with children. So... It seems to me that the rates of of childhood poverty can be decreased by doing a few simple things, right? One, get a job. Two, I suppose, have children within the framework of a traditional nuclear family, a two-parent family. And we can talk about um, same-sex families and whatnot, and there is quite a bit of data on that, but that's not what we're referring to here. We're referring to two-parent families. So, where... How do I put this? Where the Democrats, where the left generally have been eroding at family values and whatnot, eroding at those values, the consequence has been a greater level of childhood poverty. That that's the that's the inference I can make, and of course I could of course be wrong on this. I, I like I said, it took me quite a while to get my head around all of this, but that's what it seems like to to me. I believe that if you want to decrease the level of childhood poverty, if you want to decrease the level of poverty generally, you should be promoting some basic, some basic good behaviours. One of what one of those behaviours is get a job. The other one of those behaviours is don't have children until you're married. And so I would call on Bernie Sanders to to support strong family values if he really cares about reducing the level of childhood poverty. (laughs) Though I hate when people do that, right? If you really care about this, you'll do it my way. (laughs) I suppose what I'm doing right there is I'm imitating what they would do, right? So if you really care about environmentalism, if you really care about climate change and global warming, you will embrace socialism, right? Well, Bernie Sanders, if you really care about childhood poverty, you will promote greater family values. Okay, roll clip eight. You know as well as I do that we are living in a pivotal and dangerous moment in American history. We are running against a president who is a pathological liar, a fraud, a racist, a sexist, a xenophobe, and someone who is undermining American democracy as he leads us in an authoritarian direction. All right, so I might be able to concede that Donald Trump is a sexist. I mean, he's hardly the most chivalrous man. Though, you know, the Access Hollywood tape didn't say what people think it actually says, right? Um, But I'm not going to go into that. I don't particularly want to talk about that much. Right, but what evidence is there that he's a racist? Because he called MS-13 animals? MS-13 are 
animals, they're murderers, they're, you know, rapists, they're awful people, right? Okay, but furthermore, what anti-democratic thing has Trump actually done? What authoritarian thing has Trump actually done? I personally think that socialism is far more authoritarian than anything that Trump has done or proposed to do or, or talked about doing. I think socialism is far more authoritarian. And like I said in, in the video that I, I believe I made seconds, my second video, my second podcast, and like I've said earlier here, I believe that socialism is incompatible with democracy. Okay, roll clip nine. I'm running for president because we need to make policy decisions based on science, not politics. <laughs> We need to make policy decisions based on science, not politics. Coming from a man who's running in the party that believes that a man can magically become a woman. Okay, well then Bernie Sanders, denounce the transgender movement so far as it seeks to affect the law, right? So far as it seeks to affect the law, denounce the transgender movement, and then we can talk about how you want to make policy decisions based on science, not politics. Of course, that's not what you're referring to. You're referring to climate change, but, you know, let's, let's be very clear. The Democrat Party is not the party of science, right? The, the left generally is not the movement of science. They believe that a man can magically become a woman. Yeah, okay. Okay, so now we're going to move on, right, to the second topic. And we're actually running very low on time. So I'm going to try to get this done as quickly as possible. So I suppose this is all about... Brie Larson. So we're just going to touch on this. The whole Brie Larson, Captain Marvel controversy, which I have found to be hilarious, right? I found this to be one of the funniest things that's happened, right? So Brie Larson, so there's been a backlash against Brie Larson and Captain Marvel generally because of uh, what Brie Larson has been saying. So Brie Larson stated, for instance, that uh, about a year ago, I started paying attention to what my press days looked like and the critics reviewing movies and noticed it appeared to be overwhelmingly white male. So I spoke to uh, Dr. Stacey Smith at USC Annenberg Inclusion Initiative, who put together a study to confirm that. Moving forward, I decided to make sure that my press days were more inclusive. After speaking with you, the film critic uh, Valerie Complex and a few other women of colour, it sounded like across the board they weren't getting the same opportunities as others. When I talked to the um, facilities that they weren't providing it, they all had different excuses, right? And so when you put this in context of something else that Brie Larson stated, which is, um, I don't want to hear what a white man has to say about a wrinkle in time. I want to hear about women of colour. I want to hear what a woman of colour, a biracial woman, has to say about the film Larson said during an acceptance speech. Right? Okay, so... <laughs> let, let, let me ask you this, right? Let me ask you this. If it was a white man stating, I don't want to hear what a woman of colour has to say about X movie, Y movie, Z movie, whatever. I want to hear about what a straight white man has to say about that movie. Would that be sexist? Would that be racist? Is it not sexist and racist for Brie Larson to make these comments, right? If, it, if it's sexist one way, if it's racist one way, it's sexist and racist the other way as well. We 
There is no double standard here. I mean, of course, there is a double standard, but there should be no double standard here. If it is sexist and racist one way, it is sexist and racist the other way, right? Now, Brie Larson has also stated that the movie was her biggest... So this is referring to Captain Marvel. The movie was the biggest and best opportunity I could have ever asked for. It was like my superpower. This could be my form of activism, right? So we know know where Brie Larson stands on, on these matters. So what what took place? What took place after that was, well, no reviews. There were actually no reviews, but indications of whether or not people wanted to watch the film in a low. Now, the last time I checked, and Rotten Tomatoes has actually been removing comments and you're no longer able to uh, indicate whether or not you have interest in watching the movie. Rotten Tomatoes have, uh, have stopped doing that. But the last I checked, people who wanted to watch the movie was only at about 27%. That is a disaster. That is a disaster for this, right? I mean, a Marvel movie having the interest of only around 27% of people, at least the people who responded to Rotten Tomatoes' um, interest gauge. That is a disaster. And I, well, for them, I think it's a great thing. I think it is a great thing. And here's where I stand on this now, right? I don't care if Captain Marvel is a really good movie at this point. I don't care. I believe it needs to fail. Captain Marvel needs to fail, as far as I'm concerned. Now, other people can have different and, in this case, valid opinions on, you know, on this. But I believe Captain Marvel has to fail because Disney and other companies generally, other people who produce movies, who have been kicking and who've been kicking conservatives, who've been... um who've been placing who've been placing their politics above good storytelling who've been marketing in such a way in the way that Brie Larson has been marketing Captain Marvel i believe these companies need to learn they can't get away with doing this now they can't, i don't believe they they can get away with doing this it needs to be shown they can't get away with doing this right now the japanese have a have a great saying for what's taking place with the backlash regarding Captain Marvel. The cardinal words to live by. It's something that everyone is starting to realise. Get woke, go broke. Alright, so that's the show. That's been another voice, right? <laughs> Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. Follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter. Sorry, I'm not on Facebook. But follow me on Twitter at avpod underscore v2. Catch us on um, Spotify because we're on Spotify now. Catch us on SoundCloud and wherever else we put this podcast up. And please come back next week. I'll stay right here.